Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Alvin, your lead pastor. Welcome. For those of you who are visiting for the first time, it's so good to see you, especially on a day as nice as today. Uh, I had the sunroof up, and it's just hard not to be in a good mood on a day like this. Um, so I'm grateful for the great weather. I'm grateful for, uh, grateful for this church. Um, we are starting a new series. I want to talk about it, but before we do, I would like to do our pre-word uh, declaration before we get into the message, and uh, let's say this together. Repeat after me. The word of God is the bread of life. May my heart conceive it and my life achieve it. The more I give life, the more I'll receive. The more I live life, the more I'll believe. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right. The theme for 2021 for our whole year is I'm a life giver. I'm a life giver is the theme of the year. And what we're doing during this whole year is we're unpacking what that role means, what that means to be a life giver. We covered already that um, as Christians, we are the light of the world, according to the words of Jesus, our Lord. We are the lenders to the world, and we are the life givers for the world. That is the role that we have as Christians, according to our faith and according to the word of God. Um, this is a great honor, but it's also a great responsibility. The people of God, we are uh, privileged people. We have privileges that non-believers can't enjoy currently because of unbelief. At the same time, with that privilege, we are also um, a sacrificial people. Because of what we have, Scripture says, too much is given, much is required. And that's a great way to really balance out uh, life because, you know, for those of us who feel like it's unfair that some people have other advantages and privileges that you don't, just know that they also have responsibilities and expectations that you don't either. So it all has a way of evening out. That way no one really has the right or really should be jealous of anybody because anybody who has a privilege, they also have an extra dose of responsibility and expectation as well. Um, so just know that as people of God, we are privileged, but we are also a sacrificial people. Uh, in about five weeks, the whole world will acknowledge and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have um, April 4th is when the whole world, uh, people all over the world acknowledge this resurrection. And it's a wonderful thing, but the saints of God all over the world are currently right now taking time to acknowledge the, the death that made way for the resurrection. We see uh, people all over the world are observing it via Lent or Passover and different things that, that really are acknowledging this major sacrifice that happened um, before the resurrection of Jesus. Um, it's a very sobering time. I don't think there's really a topic that I can think of that's more sobering than the, the death and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Um, and I want our church to join the saints all over the world to intentionally uh, sober up. To, to intentionally pursue uh, the sobering uh, effect that comes with thinking about all that Christ and all that he gave up on the cross for us. 
Um, so to sober us up this month, I am leading us through a series we're going to call Designated Drivers. Designated Drivers uh, is the theme for the month of March. Uh, for those of you who um, have ever been and will admit that you've ever been to uh, a, a, the bars or parties or places that um, a lot of indulgence of alcohol is happening, uh, you all might remember uh, this, this term, designated drivers. Before Ubers were popular, there was a thing called designated drivers. And the way that worked was in a friend group, if you were going out to indulge, um, there was one person in the friend group that would volunteer to serve for the night as DD, as designated driver. Um, and depending on the friend group, that would either be like a rotation system where every Saturday was like, like almost like chores, like taking out the trash. It was your Saturday to volunteer and to serve as DD. Or some of us were blessed with those, with the person in the friend group that just didn't care that much for drinking or was always fine with being the resident DD. Um, not to put them on blast, but from what I remember back in college years, uh, Trey was always willing to be designated driver. He was the resident designated driver. I don't know if that's because he just thought he was in charge because he was designated driver or he just didn't really want to drink. I'm not sure, but he was always up to drive. So he was very popular in our friend group um, because he was out, out drive. He was always up for driving, but that was either one person or it was either a rotation system. And uh, depending on, I already said that, Webster's definition of designated driver is actually in Webster. I was, I was surprised to see that it was actually in there. The definition is a person chosen to abstain from intoxants such as alcohol so as to transport other drivers, others safely who are not abstaining. Uh, now, despite this reference, this series is not and will not be on alcohol. So... A lot of you all can relax. Let go of your keys. Let go of your purse. I'm not going to, we're not addressing that. Though I can't imagine how this topic will not cause you to think about some of your choices. So if that's a byproduct, praise God, but that's not really what it's about, even though I'm pulling from a reference that is very commonly used in regards to alcohol. Um... For our series, the definition I'm choosing to use to d define designated drivers is uh, people who have been given the honor and responsibility of remaining sober for a world under a harmful influence. People who have been given the honor and responsibility of remaining sober for a world under a harmful influence influence. I believe that our world is under a harmful influence or harmful influences, whether it's unbelief, which I believe is harmful, pride, I believe that's harmful, unforgiveness is harmful, fear, resentment, that victim mentality that we spent the whole month talking about in February, um, and so much more. I believe that every harmful person in our society, think the most, if we got the most harmful people in society and talked to them and got to know them, we would find out 
that they were under a harmful influence themselves. And that's the tragic cycle of sin because the very victim of sin becomes the, the, the giver of harm to other people. You know, the, the hurt end up hurting, which is why it's so important that we as people of God get sober and we are able to free ourselves from harmful influences that will then cause us to harm other people. Sobriety doesn't just bless your life, but it blesses other people's lives as well. How many people, unfortunately, do we know in this room who lost their lives at the account of someone under the influence of a substance? Sobriety not only saves you, but it saves other people. Jesus gives us the antidote to these influences, and that is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the antidote to these influences that harm us and subsequently harm other people. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 says, Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It says instead. And I was just really curious, what is about the Holy Spirit that serves as an alternative to drunkenness? Um, I believe the Holy Spirit is the key to true sobriety. And I say true sobriety because you can be sober from a substance but still not truly sober. You know, you can be sober from alcohol but still be under the influence of pride. You know, you can be sober from lust but still under the influence of unforgiveness. You know what I'm saying? So true sobriety, where you are truly seeing things as God sees it, the Holy Spirit is the, the solution for that. Now, when I talk about it, this is, this is not a discredit to 12-step programs and rehabilitation centers. In fact, I believe that those are actual tools that, that, that help people come to Christ. I know so many people that prior to AA were so closed off to the gospel because so much of 12-step programs, I believe, are actually derived from the counsel of Christ. People are so much more receptive post-12-step programs to receiving Jesus because so many of the principles are in agreement. Um, so this is more of a promotion. I'm just talking about how great the Holy Spirit is. I'm not putting anything else down when it comes to getting sober. But the reason why the Holy Spirit is the best is because the Holy Spirit does something uh, he brings something called conviction. Conviction. And nothing is more sobering than conviction. The definition in Webster of conviction is the act or process of finding a person guilty of a crime, especially in a court of law, a strong persuasion or belief, the state of being convinced, the act of convincing a person of error, or of compelling the admission of a truth, or the state of being convinced of error, or compelled to admit the truth. Some of us have heard the phrase before, um, usually by a wife, or a mother, or a sister, or a girlfriend, even though I know men say it too. But you're not sorry, you're just sorry you got caught. 
And this is a half truth, but it's also half not true because I believe that it does take getting caught for some people to be truly sorry, but it doesn't mean they're not sorry. It doesn't mean they weren't sorry. Um, conviction is when you realize that you're guilty. And there's something that really produces sobriety from that. And for many of us, it takes getting caught to truly reach conviction. Um, we must always be open to conviction. We must always be willing for God to show us ways that we're, gu we're guilty of something to sustain sobriety. I don't think we should ever graduate from being convicted. We should always be open because that's the key to constant sobriety. Sobriety is also not sadness, just so we know. Like, you can be convicted and still not, I should say this, sobriety does not mean, yeah, it doesn't mean that you're sad. Let me explain. Like, for instance, the designated driver thing. The designated driver doesn't mean that he's going to have a bad time or she's going to have a bad time. She still can go out. They're still going out with their friends. They're just not be having fun at the expense of the trust that's been given to them. When you're sober, you can still have fun, but you still are holding on to the fact that you've been trusted with a responsibility. You can have fun and not be irresponsible. Fun and irresponsibility should not be synonymous. The Holy Spirit is the one who teaches us how to live in sobriety, live in conviction, and still have a joyful and fun and good life. Remember, fun does not mean that you have to be under the influence. A lot of times, I think a lot of people heard my parents prophesy or, or tell about how they received, they would receive prophecies that our church was going to be a lot of fun. And my dad would say, man, I didn't really, I wasn't used to associating church with fun. And I was always surprised to hear that our church was going to be this fun church. This was years before we started. And I love that that was the word for them because I think the Holy Spirit is going to use Nashville Life to show that sobriety does not mean that you can't have a good time. It just means that we're having a good time holding on to the trust and the responsibility that God has given us for this world. That's what it means, in my opinion, to be the designated driver. You're still, no, notice the designated drivers are still out there. They're still going out. They're still with people who are under the influence, but they just know their role. Trey was still going out with us, but he just knew his role was to get us home safely. So when it comes to being designated drivers for the world, we're still in it. We're still around it, but we just know our responsibility while we're out. John 16, verse 7 through 11 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. This is Jesus speaking. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sins because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So Jesus has given us a helper called the Holy Spirit. And his job is to keep us convicted 
so that through conviction we can live the sober lives that we've been called to live, not just so that we're not having fun, but, but so that we can lead others safely home, which, Lord willing, is heaven, at peace with Jesus. We are called to be the people to drive and to lead people home. And this home is not this earth, because the Bible makes it very clear where this world is headed. But as we lead people home with Jesus, we must first be sober, and conviction is the key to that. The Holy Spirit does three things. It convicts the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. So the first one is being convicted of sin means being aware of our need of a Savior. That's all that means. Being convicted of sin is realizing that you need a Savior. The Holy Spirit keeps us aware of our need of a Savior. That's what that means to be convicted of sin, to realize that if it wasn't for a Savior, you would be lost. Very simple but very profound awareness. If you don't think that you're guilty, you won't think that you're in need of a Savior. That's the danger of self-righteousness. That's the danger of pride. If you don't sincerely identify with being guilty of something, as much as many of us want to escape that kind of feeling, it's not until you know that you're guilty that you feel like you even need mercy. Like, think about it. The whole premise of Christianity is based on mercy. So what if, if you've never done anything wrong, and if you're not guilty of anything, then mercy is irrelevant to you. Therefore, repentance is relevant, irrelevant to you. And if you can't repent, then Jesus says you'll perish. Now, this is a balancing act. Everything somehow comes back to balance. Because being overly sin conscious and guilt driven is just as intoxicating as thinking that you're without sin. Sobriety is balanced because thinking that you're without sin is intoxicating. It blurs up your whole vision. But being guilt-driven and doing everything you do out of a place of guilt is just as intoxicating. Both, neither one is sobriety. Believing that you are without sin is not sobriety. Living in condemnation is not sobriety. Sobriety is balance, knowing that, yes, I'm guilty, but the grace of God has set me free. That's what it means to be convicted of sin. The second thing is conviction of righteousness, which is the Holy Spirit keeps us aware of righteousness. The Holy Spirit keeps us aware of righteousness. Being aware of righteousness gives you a point of reference of what right is. It's so important that we never lose our reference point of what right is. It keeps you aware of Jesus. Being aware of righteousness keeps you aware of Jesus. It keeps perfection within your sight. People with the Holy Spirit have perfection within their sight. And not the perfection that's a triggering word to some of you, the perfection that oppresses you. I'm talking about the perfection that perfects you. There is, a, there is a perspective, there is a vision, there is an awareness of perfection that actually makes you better. Like when you're a musician 
and you see an incredible pianist or incredible symphony, and you get a glimpse of something so perfect that it inspires you to want to go home and practice. Or if you're an athlete and you see a play that just defies the laws of gravity and it makes you want to be even better at what you do. Or you're a chef and you taste that dish that was just cooked to perfection and it makes you want to get better. That's what Jesus is for us. He's, he's that image of perfection that makes you want to do better. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's what conviction of righteousness means. There's a conviction of what is perfect in your heart. And that conviction is what drives you to improve and improve to where you're 75 and 80 years old still saying there's still more. Having perfection in your mind is what keeps you from the deception of I've arrived and I can stop. Awareness of perfection is what keeps no matter how many gifts of the spirit you cross off of your list, you're still going farther. Take me to the next level. That's what the Holy Spirit does, and that keeps us sober. Number three, the Holy Spirit con convinces us that evil is defeated. A lot of times people don't know what that means. The third part of being convicted of judgment, the Holy Spirit does three things, convicts us of sin, convicts us of righteousness, and convicts us, convicts us of judgment. Conviction of judgment means the Holy Spirit convinces us that evil is defeated. This prevents us from accepting doom and defeat for our futures. It's what helps us go through rough and even terrible times with the assurance that the authority of God is still at work. That's what the conviction of judgment affords you, to where you can go through the most evil of times, which, by the way, we're in, but yet still not lose the assurance that God is still on the throne and that his judgment and his sovereignty is still alive and well. That's what conviction of judgment provides for those who have it. It keeps you encouraged when you hear about horrible crimes or acts of hate or hypocrisy in government or in leadership. We hear these things all the time, and it can really discourage us, but we have to remember that despite what we hear, despite how evil things get, evil has already been defeated, and time will prove this. Evil has been and will be judged. God is still a righteous judge, and since he's the judge, we can lean on him and trust him. That's what conviction of judgment provides for us. This keeps us sober from hopelessness, sober from, from fear, from anxiety, from despair. So how does this apply to our role as the designated drivers? Designated drivers, we've got one job. You have one job, and that is be sober. That's the one job for the DD. Stay sober. 10 o'clock, stay sober. 10.30, stay sober. 11 o'clock, stay sober. 1 a.m., stay sober. That is the job of designated driver. We stay sober so that those who are under the influence can get home safely. Scripture says that the world is blinded to the gospel. We are, they are blind, full of pride and unbelief. 
declaring that God doesn't exist, and if he doesn't exist, then for whatever reason, he wants nothing to do with them. This is, how the, this is what intoxication looks like. They're intoxicated with unbelief, with doubt. They don't believe that God exists, and if by chance he does exist, he surely wants nothing to do with them. It's one of those things to where, you know, he say, you can't fire me, I quit. When, you, when you're anticipating rejection, then you reject them before they can reject you. So honestly, people are anticipating God rejecting them, so they go, well, before he can reject me, I'm just going to reject him. We do that too with friends. We do that with church leadership. We do that with guys and girls that we're dating. We do that with our spouses. We do that with our parents. We want to protect ourselves. Before they can reject me, I'm going to reject them so I don't get hurt. These are the games that we play. And the world does this with God. Ephesians 5, verse 20 through 23 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink. Now, I promise that this series is not on alcohol. At the same time, I find it so interesting that when Scripture talks about confusing right from wrong and light from darkness, the very next thing is talking about drunkenness. It makes you think, if you are DD in 21, 2021, if you are designated driver duty in 2021, these, this is the way that we live out our lives. Number one, we live convicted of sin. We live in this place. We live convicted of sin. When you're on duty as designated driver, you know what sin is. Honestly, that's, according to Isaiah 5, that's even something that people don't have. We, we know what sin is, not because we are perfect, but honestly, because we're sinners. Not having sin doesn't make you convicted of sin. Having sin is what makes you convicted of sin. That's why we're able to be convicted because we've lived it. We know it. We've... What distinguishes a designated driver is not that he's without sin, but he's just sober about it. What makes us designated drivers is not that we are perfect, but we're sober about our sin. We're sober about our flesh. We know the capabilities of our flesh. We know where we would be if it was not for the grace of God. It's the sobriety to our condition that makes us sober. That's our greatest power. That's our, one of our greatest assets is that we are sober to our condition. We know our need for help. 
And somehow that then makes us able to help other people. It's a really amazing concept. Number two, we live convicted of righteousness. We live in this place convicted of righteousness. Being convinced of righteousness through Christ will be a sobering influence to those around you who are confused. There are a lot of people who are confused. They're not sure what is right. And simply being convicted of what is right will be such a help to those around you who are confused. Simply knowing what is right will be a sobering influence to those who are confused. And let me tell you, a lot of people are confused. Seeing the perfection of God as something accessible, as something within reach, as something that lives inside of our hearts, will blow the minds of those with no hope, with no confidence, with no imagination that they, they, could, they could ever be better in their lives. There are certain people who have given up the idea that they could ever improve. They've already accepted defeat. They've already accepted that this is just gonna, I'm just going to end up just like everybody else in my family, and it's just going to continue just like it always has for my ancestors. But knowing that Jesus, perfection, perfection has, is knocking on our door. Do you guys know that the Bible says Jesus is knocking at the door? Perfection is knocking at the door of our lives. And the simple knowledge of that will be mind-blowing to some of the people in your lives who feel like they have no hope that anything can get better with their lives. What sobered us up, for those of us who were sober, what sobered us up was recognizing the mercy and the grace of Jesus and then being smart enough to take it. That's all we are. We're people that heard about the mercy and grace of God and were smart enough to say, I'll take it. And that has made us sober and it will keep us sober. We must stay in this place because we're going to encounter people who aren't familiar with the mercy and the grace of God. And they're going to be walking in judgment and condemnation. And it's our job to say, hey, do you know that there's a way out of this? Do you know, do you know that there is? Because they might not even know. I had a talk with a friend on, Friday, on Wednesday. And I shared the gospel with him. And I'm not sure, but just the way, I guess the way I delivered it and the way I shared it in terms of just we're all in this together and this is so practical and this is how it works. He said he had never heard that before. And just to encourage you guys, this is a guy that grew up in Nashville. A lot of you all are just convinced that since we live in Nashville, no one's not saved. You don't have to go to Africa to find people who don't know the gospel. Trust me. Don't buy into the deception of southern United States, everybody's saved. Everybody is not saved. There are a lot of people who know nothing of the gospel. Lots. So for those of you who have convinced yourselves that there's just no way to evangelize here. I talked to a guy who grew up right in Middle Tennessee. And when I shared the gospel, he said, I've never heard it. He said, I never heard it like that. So just trust that God has given you the ability to communicate the gospel in a personal way. He was in church, so he's heard it, but the anointing of the Holy Spirit, 
You got to trust, guys, that God loves the people that you're talking to. Please, guys, don't forget that God, he's the one that orchestrated the conversation. So why wouldn't he give you the right words to say? Why wouldn't he give you the right way that's going to connect with them to where they can see it as something for them? Guys, this is God's idea. Please give him some credit. <laughs> give him some credit that he has the ability to give you the words to say that makes someone go, you know what, I've heard it, but it's never clicked like that. God does this. The third thing we do as des designated drivers is, is we live convicted of judgment. Knowing that Satan is defeated. Knowing this around someone who is scared will be such a blessing to them. Knowing that Satan is defeated around someone who is addicted or ashamed or condemned, it's the best thing in the world. I'm not sure if any of y'all have experienced it, but just knowing that Satan has been defeated around someone who is consumed with doubt is just such a blessing because I get to share something that I know that they didn't know. And if they didn't know, they forgot. And I just love how something so simple to me is groundbreaking to someone else. I don't know if you guys know the interaction that uh, the Gentile woman had with Jesus where he compared her to a dog and she said, I'll take the crumbs. For those of us who are in Christ, our crumbs is like a feast to a non-believer. That's why I'm not budging when I say no matter if you've been saved for two minutes, you are, you are a life giver let alone two years, let alone 12 years, let alone 24 years. Guys, I'm telling you, I'm not budging. You are a life giver, by, not because of your accomplishments, but because of the grace of God on your life. By simply believing in Jesus, your crumbs are a feast to non-believers. The very things that you think, oh, yeah, I know that, are things that will change a non-believer's life. Simply knowing that evil has been defeated. I mean, we say that every day. We know that. That's groundbreaking news to most of the people in your life. Please understand what you have. Please understand that you're sitting on a feast. Please understand that you are sitting on gold. I can't, I can't stress that enough, guys. The Holy Spirit gives us things that cause us to be convinced and convicted and sober. And it will be a blessing to those around us who are still under the influence. Us simply knowing that all weapons formed against those in Christ will fail is enough to drive the most fear-induced person to freedom. There are people who are so consumed with fear. And here we are in our back pocket. We know that no weapon formed against us will prosper. I was talking to a friend the other day that said they always thought that, they, they always considered church a rehabilitation center for the, for the broken, and I agree. I think that's what the church is meant to be, which is why I get so loud sometimes because currently I believe that God wants to rehabilitate the rehabilitation center. 
Like we are actually the doctors and the nurses and we are, praise God. That's what Tuesday nights are. It's like, do you know that we are actually the team that's supposed to rehabilitate others and we need rehabilitation ourselves? Like God is telling, we're supposed to be the messengers of be fearful, be anxious for nothing. And I'm having to tell you guys, be anxious for nothing. God is having to tell us, be anxious for nothing. Guys, we must live in this place. We've got to get, we've got to get this. And not only get it for like two hours. We've got to do whatever it takes for us to live in this place because I guarantee you within 24 hours, all of us will be in contact with somebody who needs the thing that we're accountable to be believing in. Everything I'm telling y'all is, is, is in context to your purpose as a life giver, as a designated driver. Guys, designated drivers have one job, stay sober. One job, stay sober so that those around you who are not can get home safely. As long as you are sober, guys, you can be trusted with the responsibility of being a designated driver, of being a life giver, of being the salt and the light. I want this month to be an intentional time of sobriety for the church. It's time for us to get sober. And this is how we're going to do it. I don't think there is a more sobering topic than the crucifixion of Jesus. The crucifixion of Jesus, nothing will sober a man or a woman up more than meditating on the crucifixion of Jesus. So we're going to spend the whole month talking about the greatest act of sacrifice that has ever been made for humanity. The greatest act of suffering, the greatest act of injustice, the greatest act of mercy. And my prayer and my confidence is that through the crucifixion, the Holy Spirit will unleash the conviction, the conviction of sin, the conviction of righteousness, the conviction of judgment. And this sobriety is going to put us in the mindset that will make us effective and fruitful in our salvation. It's this sobriety that's going to put us in a place to where we're even mindful. Some of us are not even mindful of who we're inviting to church. Some of us literally didn't think about it once this week of who I can invite to church. That's not normal. That is not normal. It might be a norm that we've created, but from heaven's mindset, that is not normal. Angels are going, that is not, that's kind of strange. Angels are looking going, that's strange. They didn't think once. They didn't think once who I could invite to hear the gospel. That's what you call we're under the influence of something else. When we're sober, we're going, oh, my God. You see things you didn't see before. 
My friend, who currently is a believer, just celebrated a year of sobriety. Y'all, he's like, I wake up at 5.30 in the morning, now I'm working out with a, guy, a group of men once a, once, a, once a week, no, once a day, every day, Monday through Friday, he gets up, works out for 45 minutes at, uh, uh, at 5.30. He said, man, you have no idea what my mornings were like before I was sober. He didn't even know that he could, let alone wanted to. He's working out. He's eating totally different. Simply because he's sober. Simply getting rid of the toxins allowed him to approach life from a completely different lens. And this is not even a believer. He doesn't even believe in Jesus yet. Sobriety does incredible things. So if a non-believer is able to experience this degree of sobriety, how much more accountable should we be for having the Holy Spirit? What influences are we living under that we can go literally seven days and not think once, who in my life have I not led to Jesus today? What are we consuming What are we drunk with? I'll tell you one thing, it's not the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit will keep you in a place of conviction of sin, of conviction of righteousness, and a conviction of judgment, and a conviction to see more people know about this. I told you guys, the rehabilitation center is being rehabilitated. We must see things the way God sees it. That's our prayer, right? Give me vision to see things like you do. If you want to know that, not winning people to Jesus is not normal to God. He's answering your prayer. You want to see things like I see it? I think it's strange that you don't constantly want people to be saved. Well, God, I didn't want to know that. I wanted to know about my, my future ministry. I wanted to know about my future husband. I wanted to know about my, my, the money that's coming through. I wanted to know these things. He goes, if you want to see things like I see it, it is not normal that you do not bring people to Jesus. Not for sober people. It might be normal for now, now the ones who are drunk. It's normal for them not to care. It's normal for those who are not believers not to care. It's not normal for believers who are filled with the Holy Spirit to not have an engine driving in them and a passion for wanting the lost to know Jesus. So we have to sober up so that in five weeks' time, on April 4th, when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, we can have some people with us celebrating. I believe in the next five weeks, if we sober up, we will actually realize that underneath all those toxins was a drive that you didn't know was there. You will realize that there is a passion that you had no idea was there. Like my friend who had no idea there was a passion for fitness in his life. He had no idea there was a passion for working out and waking up early because it was suppressed by so many toxins, so much liquor, so much weed, 
cocaine. But when he removed those influences, he realized that there was something underneath that entire time. If you sober up, you will realize that the passion for souls is not without you, outside of your reach. It's actually there. It was planted in your heart when you received Jesus. It's been there the whole time. This is not a new thing that you have to receive. God, give me an impartation. Give me a passion for souls. We pray these prayers. They're there. The passion for souls is there. You're just intoxicated by busyness, by money, by status quo, by convenience, by religion. The passion for souls is there. That's the only reason why God can hold us accountable to it. He doesn't hold us accountable for things that we don't have. He's not unfair. Let's not be like the third person with the talent that accuses the master of being unfair. He will not hold you accountable for 20 bucks if you only have two bucks in your pocket. He's not that kind of God. He's not going to hold you accountable for a passion for souls if he didn't place it in your heart. He knows what he placed in your heart. He knows what he gave you, which is why he can hold you responsible for it. All of us have a passion. If you have Jesus in your heart, you have a passion for souls, but you're just not sober. Get sober, and you will find out that there is so much more that's in there that you had no idea. Through the crucifixion, we're going to find out that conviction of sin is found at the crucifixion of Jesus. Conviction is, when you think about the crucifixion, it will, you will realize that conviction of sin is there. Knowing that our sin is what crucified Jesus is incredibly sobering. It is so erroneous for us to blame Judas, for us to blame the Pharisees, for us to blame the Romans, if any of us think that they're to blame for killing Jesus, we have a, we're totally wrong. It's our sin that took him to the cross. When he was on the cross, he was bearing Alvin's sin. Lord, forgive us for blaming anybody else but ourselves for the death of Jesus. The sins of the entire world, including the ones in this room, is what he bore. And that's sobering to realize that you had a hand in the crucifixion of Jesus. That will sober you up faster than a cold bucket of water. The conviction of righteousness is found at the crucifixion of Jesus. It is at the cross where righteousness was purchased for us. We must know the word. We must know that it's the shed blood that paid for our righteousness. The perfect blood, the sinless blood of the lamb was shed for us, giving us access to righteousness. When you look at the crucifixion and when you meditate on the crucifixion, it keeps you convicted of righteousness. It was given to me at the cross. 
Righteousness was given to me at the cross. When you see him there, when you hear about the, the blood that shed from his beard and from the crown of thorns and from his side, when you hear about the blood, it reminds you, oh, man, that's the payment. That's how I'm able to have righteousness today. And lastly, the conviction of judgment is found at the cross. It is at the cross where the wrath of God towards us was satisfied. My friend that I talked to Wednesday or whatever day that was, he said, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm hearing about this loving God. And growing up, I just knew about the fire and brimstone God. I was like, well, no, they're the same God. You know, notice I didn't beat around the bush, guys. Some of us need to realize that non-believers can handle more than we think. They deserve the truth. They deserve the truth. They can handle the truth. They can handle it. We are so scared. Oh, if I say that, it's going to really put them off. And Well, if the truth is going to put them off, then what chance do they have? I'm all for, you know, packaging it in the right way, but not at the expense of the truth. Jeez, how much can we edit this thing? What are we doing? I said, no, it's the same. That same fire and brimstone, angry wrath God is the same God that I'm talking about that loves you. The only reason why it's fine now because all of that wrath was taken out on Jesus. And I said this, the one that you said is not real took all the blame for all of your sins. He was like, can we pray? We prayed. Guys, the same thing that happened can happen through you. It's not about you. It's about them. It was my love for my friend that God gave me the words to say. It's out of the love of your friends that God will give you what to say. God's wrath is real. He hates sin. The only reason why it's fine is because he unleashed his wrath on Jesus, the one who didn't even do anything. And likewise, the sting of death and the authority of Satan over humanity was taken back on that special day that we are going to celebrate globally in about five weeks. When you think about the crucifixion, you think, man, this was what defeated Satan. This is what defeated sin. This is what defeated hell and the grave. You can't meditate on the crucifixion and not realize that judgment has been unleashed on Satan. And that makes you feel better about your life. That makes you feel better about your future. And as you share it, other people who are not feeling good about their lives and not feeling good about their future, they will then have hope. The good news about the church is that we don't have to wait till April the 4th to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We don't have to wait for the rest of the world. We can do it right now. We can celebrate right now. In fact, 
as designated drivers, we must celebrate this every day to keep us sober. It's actually what keeps us sober by celebrating the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what keeps you sober. This is why we have church every Sunday. We have a culture currently that if you, if you go to church more than twice a month, you think you're just Apostle Paul. I'm a radical believer. I've been to church two times this month. Guys, we've got to change the standard. Well, you know, I mean, there's so many things that are said. I went three times, and I honestly, just, I just thought to myself, are you doing this because you want to do this, or are you doing this because God, and I was realizing, I was, I was really slipping into some, something legalistic, so I decided not to go to church because I just, if it was just too much, it was getting to the point to where it wasn't about, you know, it wasn't really what I wanted. It was what, what I thought I was supposed to do, and that's, that's wrong, right? And we think we are being so deep. I figured that out. Oh, my gosh. Freedom is just, you know, you know going when I feel like it. That's freedom because anything, anything else, guys, it's for your sobriety that we meet every week. It is for your sobriety that we have life groups on Tuesdays. It's for your sobriety. I mean, that's literally like saying I'm not taking a shower today because I took one Wednesday. The body has a way of accumulating toxins that smell bad. So we shower every day. Some people shower more than one day because you don't have to do anything dirty to get dirty. Guys, the reason why there's so much maintenance required in the body of Christ is because we can accumulate toxins without even trying to do it. That's why every day read the word. Well, that just, it just feels like, it just feels legalistic. Okay, cool. Let's see how you smell in three days. Don't read your Bible. Don't come. Don't come to life group. Let's see how you smell in two weeks. Guys, it's for your sobriety that we have these things so often. Don't let the devil deceive you that the very help that God is giving you is some oppressive thing. If you are tired of being under the influence, whether it's unbelief, whether it's doubt, whether it's anxiety, you name it. If you are convicted right now of sin, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. If you're convicted of righteousness, the Holy Spirit is working in you. If you are convicted of judgment, that evil has been defeated and that there is a way out, the Holy Spirit is working in your heart. If you are convicted in any of these ways, the Holy Spirit is leading you to one decision, and that is Jesus. Choose him. Start a life of sobriety today. Start a life of sobriety today. 
Trust me, you're not saying goodbye to fun. You're saying hello to honor and responsibility, two things that all of us were created to experience. All of us were built to experience honor and responsibility. Look at Adam. He was given honor and he was given responsibility. Nothing's changed. God wants wants you to experience that. Designated drivers is who we are. That's an honor position, but it's also a responsible position. We live soberly so that those under the influence can get home safely. And that's our series for this month. So it's going to be a sobering time, but the people out there are going to thank us for it. They're going to say, thank you so much for getting sober. Thank you so much. Guys, every week someone goes, Alvin, thank you so much for saying yes. And it it blesses me, but that was a sobering situation. They will thank you. I'm a living proof. They will thank you. Thank you, Solo, for getting sober. Thank you, Roxanne, for getting sober. Thank you, Grant. Thank you, Alex. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Jay. Thank you. Thank you, Esther. Thank you. Thank you for getting sober. If it wasn't for your sobriety, I would have never found a way home safely. I would have still been on the street with my thumb up. Thank you for getting sober. There are thank yous that are waiting. There are thank yous that are waiting for you to choose sobriety. So let's stand and pray. Thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you for this call to sobriety. I thank you for this call to honor and responsibility. Lord, You've called us to be the ones who lay down our lives for our friends. You've called us to be the sober ones, the ones who can see and think clearly with the eyes of Jesus, with the mind of Christ, with the heart of the Father. Lord, help us to receive and to step out and use what's been given to us. Lord, we repent for all the toxins, for all the influences of this world, our jobs, our relationships, our dreams, our ideas, our opinions, our distress the things that we have allowed to suppress, the pure things in us, the drive and the love for people, the patience for people, the compassion for people, the capacity for people, the love for people. So we repent, Lord, and we 
We pray that this month would be a great detox. We pray, Lord, that the message of the crucifixion would be like a great detox for our lives so we can see the world the way you see it, so we can look at the world and see it how you saw it when you were moved with compassion because you said you saw people who were lost and scattered and harassed without a shepherd. And you prayed that more laborers would enter into your harvest field. Lord, that's what a sober mind looks at. That's how a sober life sees the world. In need of more laborers, Lord, give us the sobriety that you walk the earth with. We ask for that same sobriety. Give us that sobriety. We want that, Lord. And we're willing to do whatever it takes. Holy Spirit, give us specific instructions individually of what it takes to reach the sobriety of Jesus. To where we look at our world and see the same thing he sees and desire the same thing he desired. So for everyone who wants the mind of Christ, for everyone who wants the influence of Jesus, who wants the seed to be planted in your heart, repeat this prayer after me. Father, in the name of Jesus, I confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and was raised from the dead on the third day. Forgive me of my sins and make me a new person in Christ. Lord Jesus, I choose you to be the Lord of my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit so I can live for you every day. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.